0: This is a presentation of Paterson Media. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Paterson Media. It's designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy, Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Pattison Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Some have flourished, others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada, Season 2. Each episode, we highlight local musicians. This time, it's Vancouver singer-songwriter Sean Austin. I'll introduce
1: you to Sean at the end of the podcast. On this show the excitement, the challenges, the heartache, and the great stuff too, because agriculture is incredibly exciting. That's Mary Robinson from the Canadian
0: Federation of Agriculture, who will shed light on the farming industry in this country throughout the podcast. Seaweed grows in the ocean. We're actually planting seaweed. So it is the most sustainable crop on the planet. That's Desiree Dupuis. She'll speak to the incredible farming opportunity happening in the ocean.
2: Canadian people really enjoy their own wine. They are really proud of it. Winemaker Caroline
0: chaleur direct from France to the wine fields in British Columbia. She'll talk about the craft here in Canada and how we compare.
3: World food security really does depend on food from the ocean.
0: TRACEABILITY IN THE FISHING INDUSTRY IS AT THE TOP OF THE LIST FOR OWNERS OF GOOD FISH SEAFOOD. WE'LL CONNECT WITH FRASER MCDONALD LATER. HI THERE, I'M LINDA FREEMAN, YOUR HOST FOR AMPLIFY CANADA. War IN UKRAINE IS CAUSING A MAJOR FOOD SHORTAGE AROUND THE WORLD, CREATING CHALLENGES FOR FARMERS IN NEED OF SUPPLIES AS WELL LIKE FERTILIZER Agricultural ministers and industry leaders will be meeting in Saskatoon later on this week to talk about how to provide support as well as the future of agriculture in Canada. The focus they're also hoping will be on climate change. Canada's food system is resilient and innovative. It sustains our environment and supports our economy. In 2021, the whole agriculture and agri-food system employed 2.1 million people and provided one in nine jobs here in Canada and generated $134.9 billion. In this episode, we explore the importance farming plays in small business.
4: Canada's always been
3: a reasonably major agricultural producer. We have the potential here to become an agricultural superpower.
0: This country is built on small businesses. Let's listen to the stories of the many faces of farming and the important role this industry plays in the survival of Canadian small businesses. We start our journey on the West Coast with a creative farming initiative surrounding beautiful Vancouver Island. Founded in 2019, Cascadia Seaweed is now the largest cultivator of kelp in Canada with seven seaweed farms in partnership with five different First Nations communities. It totals 26 hectares and produces 250 wet tons a year. Have I got your attention? Who would have thought of seaweed farming? Desiree Dupuis is the founding partner of Cascadia Seaweed and runs the consumer brand Cove Ocean Foods, which is actually an acronym, Desiree.
5: Yeah, knowledge, oneness, vitality, and excellence. The knowledge part is in reference in honoring our First Nations partners. Each one of our seaweed farms, we partner with a First Nation band and we work with them for their knowledge and experience and know-how because they've been cultivating and eating seaweed for many, 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 many years. Oneness, we are all one. Everything that we do, we receive in return. We're one with the planet, we're one with the land, one with each other. And then vitality, of course, is just harnessing the power of seaweed and all the nutritious ingredients that it offers to us as humans, but also to the planet and the ocean. And then excellence, of course, is the highest standard that we achieve to be.
0: Pretty powerful. I mentioned a bit of the background of the company off the top, but can you add to that? Cove is the consumer food brand for Cascadia Seaweed.
5: Cascadia was founded originally by our chairman, Bill Collins. He was doing an economic study on Vancouver Island and realized the potential for the future of seaweed in so many different usages. You know, everything from industrial usage to bioplastics to ultimately human food. And then about six months into building some seaweed farms and starting to cultivate and grow sugar kelp, realized that the highest and best value for the seaweed that they're growing among all the other uses would be food and so decided that Cascadia really wanted to launch a consumer food brand. Since then, over the last two years, been working with different food scientists and chefs and manufacturers to create the tastiest, most delicious products that we can made from the BC grown seaweed that we're growing in partnership with First Nations. We have a nursery where we birth little seaweed, seedling babies, and they're inoculated and we take seaweed from birth. That's a whole operation that we have going on in a nursery right now in Bamfield. And then we plant seaweed in the ocean on ropes and lines. And then we pull it out of the water and and then we're drying it into a powder.
0: What a great operation and such a meaningful partnership. Now, when I think of seaweed, I think sushi and kind of fishy tasting. But you've really used creativity to bring a bigger market to the table, so to speak.
5: We really wanted to make seaweed accessible for the North American palate. So people that are not really accustomed to eating seaweed and who might have some negative connotations in their head that it's just kind of gross and slimy and not really edible. (coughs) We're trailblazing and pioneering a whole new industry in Canada and in North America. Really, we're the first ones growing seaweed at the scale that we are and creating food products. And so we Wanted to make it tasty, Mm, mm. we realized that we could extrude our seaweed powder with pea protein to make a really delicious and nutritious base of a puff. And so that's how we came up with the concept of doing a protein puff because seaweed is a significant source of protein, up to 47% protein when it's dried. So the base is just two ingredients, it's seaweed powder and pea. So we use pea protein, pea fiber and pea starch, and then it's extruded into this really light, tasty, delicious puff. It's really, really healthy. And we also thought, you know, what are other things that consumers are already eating that we could add seaweed to? So with the tortilla chips, we were able to actually create regular tortilla chips that people are used to eating. And so we have like a more innovative, we call it totally dippable tortilla chip. And then our first product, our dried seaweed seasoning. We just paired it with really nice ingredients, Try to mimic the everything bagel spice. Instead of adding salt to your favorite dishes, it adds a lot of flavor. Seaweed also has a lot of iodine, and so it gives people some nutritional
0: benefit. I'm quite impressed with how incredibly healthy kelp is. And it really is sustainable.
5: Absolutely. Seaweed grows in the ocean. We're actually planting seaweed. We're not taking from existing kelp beds which are starting to disappear, so we're actually giving back to the environment and to the ocean as we grow seaweed. There's no fertilizers, we don't have to cut down trees, we don't have to water seaweed, and so it is the most sustainable crop on the planet.
0: I love this story. It's businesses like yours, with creativity, a desire to make important change in the world that amplify a community and make it better. You've inspired me to give seaweed another try. Thanks, Desiree. From farming to getting perspective on the farming industry. This is what we'll move in and out of in this episode. Understanding the value and importance of this industry to our economy and the need for sustainability. Let's shift into that conversation with Mary Robinson, president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. Hi Mary, can we start
1: with perspective on your organization and what you do? We are Canada's largest general farm organization. We represent approximately 190,000 farm families from across the country coast to coast to coast. We can say that third coast because we have the Yukon joined our organization a few years ago. So we have those kind of provincial and territorial farm organizations that are members of ours. So we have a really broad spectrum of member organizations. We only sit down as a group a handful of times in a year, but we get to hear firsthand from those producer representatives what's going on in their area, the excitement, the challenges, the heartache, and the great stuff too, because agriculture is incredibly exciting and technology and opportunity field industry. And as a consumer, more of us are wanting to learn a little bit more as we work really hard to support our local farmers. And I think that's happening more. Are you seeing that from your side? There's so many nuances from region to region and within commodities. So, When we look at why it's important for us to support our local farmers, COVID and other events recently have really highlighted the food security and food availability issues. For a lot of us, not all of us, but for a lot of us, we experienced those scarcities for the first time in our lives. Agriculture has always done such an amazing job of just producing food, and a lot of people haven't had to give it a thought.
3: The war in Ukraine has had a direct impact on the price of fertilizer, for example. So
1: really what we need to look at moving forward, and I think the Ukraine-Russia situation has highlighted that for a lot of people, domestic food production is incredibly important to the security, not only of, of our farms and agriculture in Canada, but to all Canadians and beyond, because we feed a lot of people around the world. As Canadians, are we understanding the importance of this?
0: And I say this from the perspective that I'll hear, oh, another house farm is going up where once farmland was. And so the concern is urban sprawl. What is that going to mean to us? And so do we really understand that we need to support our farmers?
1: I would really like to say yes. In practical terms, I don't know. I think we have a lot of work to do because there's really only about 2% of Canadians that have any direct exposure to agriculture. So when we look at that and we look at that, we're a country that enjoys some of the most affordable food in the world. We've created our own problem because we've done such a good job, I'll say very proudly, in producing incredibly nutritious and affordable food that it's just kind of become a non issue. But I think looking forward, we do really see some hope that agriculture is going to gain some more prominence in the public consciousness. And I think unfortunately, it's a lot of those horrible things that are going on in the world that has focused this spotlight on food production. Mary,
0: we'll pause there and then pick up the conversation a little later about some of the changes you're seeing in agriculture. What constitutes farming? Do you think of a winery as a farm? Well, according to the Wine Growers of Canada, winemaking is Canada's highest value-added agricultural product rooted in Canadian soil, producing high-quality wines and significant economic benefits for all Canadians. Between 2011 and 2019, the Canadian wine industry grew by over 70%. Now this was driven by investments in research, innovation, sustainability, and capacity. So flying from Vancouver Island, where we looked at seaweed farming, to the interior of BC into wine country, touching down in Oliver a town near the south end of the Okanagan Valley in the southern interior of British Columbia. The population is around 5,000 people. It's situated along the Okanagan River between Osoyoos and Okanagan Falls, and has been labeled as the wine capital of Canada by Tourism British Columbia. Originally from France,
2: let me introduce you to Caroline Chaylor. As you can hear, I have a big accent. I came here in 2017 to work for a French company who own a winery here. I'm a winemaker since about 20 years. Now being from France,
0: how does Okanagan wine compare?
2: The only difference between Okanagan and European wines is that we make wine in Europe since years and years and years. So it's just brand new in the Okanagan, so we are not well known. And it's a tiny production as well compared to the volume we can do in Europe. But the quality is here. We have a very nice climate to grow grapes. Usually people are very surprising because when you say you do wine in Canada, they only think about snow. They don't think that we can reach 40 degrees in summer. So Caroline... A French winemaker brought you to Canada,
0: but now you're working for Rainmaker. Can you tell me about this vineyard?
2: We have 14 acres of vineyard to produce wine. And last year we planted eight acres with uh, new grapes. And so they will start to produce next year to have more wine.
0: So when you're saying new grapes, is it new to Okanagan or is it just a new variety of grapes?
2: New vine, so they're baby vine, so they can't produce yet. We have to wait for them to grow and to develop the wood system before we can do harvest and before we can pick up quality grapes. So usually it takes three years. You plant and you wait a little bit and then you have the grapes which is new for us is that we're gonna have Tempranillo, which is uh, Spanish grapes. Very very exciting about this one because I'm pretty sure we have the excellent weather for this grape here.
0: What do you want people to understand about Canadian wine?
2: Well, it's not only ice wine. We can produce really, really good, heavy, full body red, uh, really nice white. We have a bunch of different terroirs. I know it's a French name. Terroir is really the location of the vineyard and what's going just in this vineyard. So it's very important. Yeah, Okanagan wines are really good. So first thing you have to taste, maybe a blind taste, taste some uh, Okanagan wines. But that's not the end of the travel, you know. Wine is like a new year every year. You are working with uh, Mother Nature So she's always first. You just have to follow and try to adapt.
0: Before we wrap up, let's talk about the high quality of wine being produced here. As there is a bit of a tie to French communities that came in the early years.
2: It started with some French people who came to show the knowledge they had and the skills they had about wine. It's good also to promote that kind of culture here and I think people are really enjoying and are really asking for more and more quality wines. It has to start somewhere, so maybe 20 years ago, wines weren't so good here, but now people are using good techniques, people are really focused on uh, quality and they really understand that. To have nice customer, you have to produce nice wine, so you have to grow nice vineyard. It's very important, and we are a small area compared to the rest of the world, but I think that Canadian people really enjoy their own wine. They are really proud of it, so it's very nice to see how the business is growing in the Okanagan. Thanks,
0: Caroline. Wine has been produced and sold in Canada for more than 150 years, but it's been over the past couple of decades that Canadian wines started attracting favorable attention on that world stage, amplifying our country's ability to become a major player in the international wine scene. There are many newer farming industries emerging, and some of the, well, I'm gonna say trends, like hemp hearts and oat milk are making huge inroads in Canada. Back to you, Mary. Would you have thought we'd be drinking oat
1: milk? Yeah. Personally, I have difficulty calling it oat milk. I think it's an oat drink because to me, milk comes from an animal that you milk, be that a goat or a sheep or a cow. I I, uh, always laugh. It'd be kind of hard to milk the oats, wouldn't it? (laughs) Exactly. So you see this joke when you go to different agriculture conferences about almond milk and they've got an almond and they've got someone doing this to the almond. How do you milk an almond is the joke. So yes, we definitely see trends. Some of those new trends that we can speak to would be the steady push we see from consumers for increased transparency around how food is produced. I think that trend is going to continue. We have to be cognizant as a society moving forward that we don't kind of I don't want to say outprice food production, but I think we've got to be aware of the burden we put on food production and how safe do we have to have it. So you know, you and I, when we leave our house in the morning, we take a calculated risk if we're going to walk out the door, get on public transit or hop in your pickup truck, whatever you do to get to work. There's risk in that all the way along your journey in your day. That's just life. So I think with food, we have to be really aware that There's a bit of a dance there to play and we can't lose sight of the fact that canada is pretty much the envy of the world as far as our food production and we have a lot to be really appreciative for and it's exciting
0: just to be grateful for what we have here and and then that makes me think as well about the future of farming will the next generation of farmers want to keep farming? So what's your perspective on that?
1: Well, will the next generation want to keep farming is a great question, Linda, because what we do see is eroding margins, pressure to become streamlined. For example, here I'm in Prince Edward Island. If you only grew 50 or 100 or 200 acres of potatoes, the local processor of that would be too small for them to buy from you because they need to be streamlined in their suppliers. So you need to become bigger in order to be able to access that market. So there's pressure on farmers to kind of amalgamate and become larger as far as being a one operation that encompasses many acres or many units of production. And with that, there comes a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. You employ people and the farmers that I know take very seriously their commitments to the families that they employ. And that's certainly something we've been, my family's been farming here for 200 years and we have families that have been with me for as long as I can remember. And they're kind of part of our extended family. And the same would go for foreign workers. One of my friends has got three generations of one family that comes every year from Mexico and works in his potato farm. So that's really impressive. But when we look at the future of farming, we need to make sure that the future really takes into account how aggressively we protect agriculture from the effects of climate change. We've got to take an active role in that. Here in Prince Edward Island, we did just experience Fiona and... I have a neighbor who the roof blew off his one of his potato storage buildings, so he's got 12 million pounds of potato storage that he's lost. He's digging that crop now, and he doesn't have a place to put it. So we have to really make sure that we've got policy that's quickly and effectively reactive to that. But at the same time, we talked about the excitement, what agriculture brings to the table in regard to our ability to mitigate climate change. So we have to make sure we're putting in the proper incentives and the proper policies to unleash our potential in climate change because I think everybody is agreeing that the weather is really just going to intensify and drop more pressures on us, all of this unpredictability.
0: So climate change and sustainability, well they tie directly into the next farm we'll visit. Globally fisheries and aquaculture production are an important source of accessible nutritious food and a basis of livelihoods. It is also a key driver of coastal and rural economic well-being. A fishing company making a sustainable difference is in the heart of Vancouver, False Creek to be exact. But Good Fish is run by fishermen who spent nearly two decades on British Columbia's coastal waters, learning what it means to deliver community-driven, accessible local seafood. Talk about amplifying a community. Fishermen who are focused on ensuring we have an abundance of fish in the future. Meet Fraser McDonald, who's been fishing since he was 17. He bought his first boat in 2011. Recently he and his business partner came up with the idea of an actual fishing company.
3: After a bunch of years of kind of growing and developing the fishing side of the business, Samuel and I started the idea for Goodfish. I'd had the idea for a while and we figured out how we could turn it into an actual company. We've been working on building out the business and building a brand and getting all the design done, and we're just starting to roll it out now. We've been selling at farmer's markets since 2020, but just kind of getting ready to start selling retail and wholesale as well now.
0: Let's step it back just a bit and talk about how you got into fishing.
3: I never really do much recreational fishing. It was always sort of a job for me. I never did it in my spare time. Since 2005, I've spent four to six or seven months a year on the water, all over the coast, everywhere from the Alaska border down to like offshore northern California when we're fishing tuna. So yeah, it was kind of like my second home has been on the boats for the last bunch of years. So what started out as a good way to make some money as a student and go traveling and do some snowboarding in the winters turned into a full-blown business.
0: I love seafood. I love fish. And I did not understand how close to extinction some of my favorite fish were.
3: Regulations that they've put in place definitely has paid off.
0: We've heard a lot in the news about overfishing, which has raised a lot of concerns. But through regulations, we're seeing improvement. Can you talk about ensuring sustainability and how you stay on top of the latest research, policies, and even techniques?
3: The main thing that we wanted to do with good fish was to really have super robust traceability and also really specialize only in local fish. BC has so much great seafood and most of the seafood that's getting eaten in western Canada isn't caught in Canada. A lot of it's imported and a lot of that's just because the fishery industry is set up to catch and export fish and not necessarily catch and then distribute it locally. That is changing in the last 10 years or so but yeah we saw a really good opportunity to keep fish here in Canada.
0: So what are your thoughts on where the industry will be in five or even ten years?
3: I think it's a pretty complex thing. World food security really does depend on food from the ocean. Seafood provides protein for like three billion people or something. I think it's the primary source of protein. So it's important that we have enough food for everyone. I think aquaculture plays a role in that for sure, but I definitely think When you look at the energy required for protein for like wild capture fish, we're not having to put any inputs into it. Nature is doing all the work and we're able to go out and use a minimal amount of energy to harvest super high quality, nutritious food. So I think wild capture fisheries are still, and should be, as long as they're managed and fished appropriately are the best. So that's the main basis of what we've done is designed our whole fishing program around fisheries that have little impact on the environment. It's all hook and line, there's no net fisheries. All of these things kind of contribute to having a very low impact and making sure that we're bringing back really nutritious and abundant food.
0: You're doing so much to ensure sustainability in your business. So what does the future look like for you guys?
3: The fishing industry is changing at the moment. There's definitely an older generation of people that are trying to retire and sell their boats. As much as it seems like commercial fishing isn't what it used to be 20 years ago because there's not so much salmon, there's a ton of opportunity. So I think our fishing operation will continue to grow steadily. We have like a really great group of people that work with us, skippers and deckhands and people that shipyards and stuff like that. We have a great group. So I think that end of our business is going to keep growing. I'm really the most excited about launching Good Fish because I think now that we have enough boats to kind of have enough supply of fish, We don't have to worry about not being able to have enough fish to supply consistently throughout the year. I think being able to know where our fish is going, if we we catch it ourselves on our boats and we bring it in and we have it processed and we're providing it right basically to the end user, whether that's a chef or a customer who's going to cook it at home. There's like a lot of job satisfaction in that. You kind of know where it came from. We brought a halibut to Bao Bay last week that was caught on the boat off the south end of Haida Gwaii and it's like cool knowing that whole journey of the fish. part I'm most excited about in the next five years is the growth of good fish and just seeing where we can take it.
0: Thanks Fraser. Truly an amazing Canadian business story and fantastic that you've been able to have product in a market before having a retail business. It's such an important piece to take note of how other businesses play a role in supporting farmers. And that leads us to William Miller, a former chef in Vancouver, now owner of Birch & Boar. Located on historic George Street in downtown Prince George, it is a friendly market that carries a wide variety of in-house cured and fresh meats, all sourced from local farms. Welcome to Amplify Canada, William.
6: Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be nominated.
0: You were living in the beautiful, booming metropolis of Vancouver. What made you move to Prince George and start your business?
6: I was there for 15 years working in a lot of restaurants, learned a lot of stuff. But then my grandpa got ill, so I came back up to Prince George to look after him. And my friends at the same time just happened to be opening a restaurant called Batula Burning. It's a fantastic Neapolitan traditional Italian restaurant. They it had a charcuterie menu, and I've spent a lot of time learning how to do charcuterie. I learned it from my grandma, and it's one of those things where, like when I was a kid, I always thought it was gross and weird that we had meat hanging in the attic. But as you got older, you kind of missed those things. So I tried to learn how to do her recipes and then advance it. My grandma would like a handful of salt. Well, her hands are half the size of mine, so that wouldn't work. And so I learned how to cook, you know, and do charcuterie. And they hired me on as a consultant to do that, teach the staff from the program. And I was just kind of getting bored. I missed a lot of what I loved about Vancouver, having fresh produce and axel these amazing products all the time. And I thought, well, why couldn't I do that here in Prince George? So I started a farmer's market company with four of my friends and we just operated every Saturday. It was a really big hit. During that time, we just met a lot of people, a lot of farmers, and we fell in love with the whole community up here. I decided to stay, and we turned into an actual storefront. We're loving it. We love the customers. We love the farmers, and we really want to show that Prince George is one of the premier food places in British Columbia, even if you've never heard of it.
0: I love how your grandma ignited the passion. I think a lot of us can identify with that, you're focused on highlighting your community and the farmers. So why is that so important to you?
6: Because I really believe in food security. And a proven point of it is that you looked at when the Coquihalla went down, the flooded here in Vancouver.
0: Water rushes underneath a now completely severed section of the
1: Coquihalla Highway. Look at this bridge.
6: There's nothing left of it. We in Prince George couldn't get access to a lot of our commercial goods. A lot of these stores like Save-On-Buy from the markets down there, which are shipped from around the world. My store is full. We never ran out of anything. A lot of our products are all made here in Prince George, or they're made in the Northern area. All of our farmers are represented. It's really important to make sure those people can make a dollar in their local community. That dollar stays in the community, which means you'll get a good chunk of that dollar back to you if you have your own business. We wouldn't be anywhere without the community. I mean, from the farmer's market, people showing up to just giving us that support to like every other local business who comes in and buy security boards for staff parties. I have a big belief that if you look after your employees, they look after your customers. You look after your customers, they look after you. And it's this really big circle that if you have to like think of it as being really community-minded, thinking local first is really important. That doesn't mean we want to ignore our neighbors, but we have to make sure that we can take care of the people in our community so then they can take care of people in their communities and we kind of grow that way. I just think it's a positive circle to be involved in helping people when you can. Paying it forward, like, I really believe in it. It starts with employees, to your customers, and then to your community, and they'll look after you.
0: You speak so passionately about the importance of community and how it's all linked. I read about how you're fundraising for Kyle's Kindness, a local autism awareness and resource initiative. How do you pick who you're going to help?
6: When people come to us with opportunities, and I always consider charity an opportunity, even if you can't give financially, doesn't mean you can't help the cause. You can share things, you can talk about the cause, you can be present and just learn about the cause, learn about things we need to be educated on, and that contributes to overall growth of said charity, event, whatever needs help. Just sometimes time is more important than even just giving a dollar.
0: What do you want people to know about supporting farmers and shopping local?
6: When you support local that dollar you have circles that community six, seven times before it leaves the community. So there's more financial growth within your community. It may not seem like it because you're not seeing it right away, but a year from now, you're gonna see a large growth. And it's interesting to see when farmers markets are doing well, suddenly these farmers are buying better equipment and they can produce more produce, then the costs are to come down. I guarantee if you spend 10% of your grocery budget in a local farmer's market, you'll see a big difference in your community. Go to your farmer's market, go see what's there, Go support these people because roads are closed. Trucks can't make it to our city. They're the ones who will feed us. So we should look after them when we have the ability to look after them.
0: We've heard a lot of positivity around Canadian agriculture throughout the episode. Now, do you see a future for this industry in Canada?
6: I think it has to. I think any country that wants to be, have positive growth forever needs to have that strong foundation. The foundation for any community is the farmers. Communities are built around agriculture. That's how it's always been. I think that's how it will always be. We need diversified farming, and we have the land. Like Canada is so resource-rich on land to produce, and we are blessed to work with our farmers. We want to see them grow and continue to be successful. Because to do so means the community is successful. And if the community is successful, that means the province is successful. And if the province is successful, that means the country can be successful. I'm positive in the future. I really am.
0: Thanks, William. Well said. Farming plays a key role in our overall economy. Back to Mary Robinson, President of Agriculture Canada. What's your perspective on this, Mary?
1: It is staggering. And I think most Canadians would be absolutely blown away to understand that primary producers. So whether you're an oyster fisherman in PEI or you're a grain farmer in, in the prairies or you're raising cattle in Alberta, whatever you're doing, we're the foundation for a larger system, the agriculture and agri-food system in Canada. So when we look at that, that whole of agriculture and agri-food, that system employed... million people and provided one in nine jobs in Canada. I think that makes it second only to government as far as employment goes. And in doing that, it generated just under $135 billion in GDP, which is just under 7% of Canada's gross domestic product. So it's again, like I said at the beginning of this little discussion, it's important to recognize that farmers are the foundation of that. So the beginning of the pipe is, how much raw product are we going to have to hand to all of the value-add potential we have in this country and beyond? So the more that we're able to produce food efficiently and sustainably and increase that volume, the multiplier effect that that has on that $135 billion is very real the potential is amazing and i always giggle because i feel old when i say do you remember in 2017 our friend dominic barton who i adore he's he's a smart guy he was part of a strategy that identified that agriculture is really the diamond in the rough and that Canadians should be looking at this and saying, wow, not only is it food security and it's climate change mitigation, but it's our best potential for increased ROI on GDP. So with the proper investment and the proper policy, so I mean red tape reduction, I mean incentivizing investment internationally, bringing more value add to this country, agriculture blows the doors off every other industry, I say with confidence. Mary, thank you. Anything else before
0: we go that you want to get out to listeners? Why we as a consumer need to play a key role in ensuring the success of farming in this country going forward.
1: Don't take it for granted. Really think, I wonder if it's worth me asking my member of parliament, what's your position on agriculture and what are you doing to help in agriculture? And reach out to them and and encourage them that agriculture matters to you. Whether you live in downtown grey Saskatchewan, or you live in Minto, Manitoba, which I think is a population of 93, or you live in Vancouver or Toronto or Charlottetown, your MP needs to hear from you to really know that agriculture matters to you because you still want to be able to go to your grocery store and not only access but afford food.
0: Through hard work, creativity, perseverance, and true dedication, farming is at the core of Canadian business. Thank you, Mary, Desiree, Caroline, Fraser, and William for your stories and insight. Now head out the door. There's an amazing farm or market just waiting for you to explore. And thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated these businesses for Amplify Canada. Each episode of Amplify Canada, we introduce a local musician whose song you've heard throughout the podcast. With over 23 million collective streams to date, Vancouver singer-songwriter Sean Austin has worked tirelessly to cement his place in the Canadian country music landscape. He's been nominated for Canadian Country Music Awards Rising Star in both 2019 and 2021, and was a season two finalist on NBC's Songland. Sean... You're born and raised in Vancouver. How did you get into country music?
7: I get the question all the time, how does a guy from Vancouver get into country music? And I think that the simplest answer is that country is that, let's put it this way. I consider myself a mutt when it comes to musical influences. I pull from rock, pop, everything. But over the years, country's always been the genre that I relate to the most. There's something about the storytelling aspect of country music if we're writing a song about an emotion, there's something you can pull out of it, and it just kind of humanizes everybody. So that's why I've always loved country, and that's why I've been lucky enough to do it today.
0: So, NBC's Songland, let's talk about that. Now, this show followed undiscovered songwriters as they pitched their original creations to artists and music producers. How was your experience?
7: Songland was this unbelievable masterclass in songwriting. All these people that I was working with were just brilliant in their own right. But then working with Shay McAnally, Ryan Tedder, Esther Dean, for two weeks, getting a chance to spend my time with people that I've looked up to for years, and then seeing how their process works and seeing how it differs from mine on the creative side. It was nice to kind of step out of my box and get a little bit uncomfortable, but learning from some of the best of our time. And it just kind of lit a fire, because we did that right before the pandemic. So it was nice to have that to kind of lift me through two years of nothing.
0: Now, speaking of the pandemic, how was the process for you? Like some artists we've talked to really use this time to rebrand
7: themselves. Thank God for technology. It's nice to to be on the doorstep of getting this this out to the world. Yeah, we did a whole bunch of Instagram lives. We put together this kind of goofy late night show kind of vibe like a Jimmy Fallon show. We did that for a few weeks and brought up a bunch of different artists that I've been friends with and fans of. You know, I think we just kind of dabbled into everything. It was trying to find out ways to connect with fans. And you had like a really
0: neat opportunity through a promoter. It was to perform live in hotels, but outside.
7: These hotel shows were pretty incredible. The show would be in like an inner courtyard. You bought tickets to a show, then they'd watch the show from the balconies of their hotels. And that worked out so incredibly well. And it was such a nice way for us to be able to play live music again while still obeying the rules and making sure that everybody was safe. And it's something that I kind of hope continues going forward because for such a unique way to do a show, it worked out great. And I can see that being super successful on larger scales as things go on. So, you know, those were a couple of the big ones that kept me going and kept my mind racing for two years. Being on stage, there is nothing better. I can speak on behalf of all artists that we will never take it for granted again. And every chance we have to be behind a mic is going to be just a little more special now.
0: We've heard a bit of your song, tailgate to heaven peppered throughout the podcast. Now, you wrote this song. So what's the process you go
7: through? It's been a while actually since I've cut one of my own songs. It's funny how country works very differently where we just write music and we try to write the best song. And you kind of know that when you write a track, it might not always suit you. You pitch it out to other artists and you hope it clicks for somebody. That was the case with this one. I'm recently married, so it just felt like something that, you know, my wife and I have experienced. And to me, the song is about just taking that special person to that place that's just kind of yours, you know, where you can just have that quality time and those moments that you kind of, you live for. It's got to be things that I can connect with, can relate with whatever I'm going on in my life at any given time or inspiration. Sometimes I hear a story on the news and you try to be empathetic to a situation and put yourself in someone's shoes and write the way I would feel if I was going through that. It always has to be genuine.
0: I can only imagine as a musician, being back performing must just feel so special. The vibe that you get from a live audience, and especially when you know they're connecting with your music. I have
2: a buddy here tonight that I did a song with.
7: We got a chance to do a whole bunch of shows this year, and being on stage and having everyone sing that track back, that's why we do this. There's no better feeling in the world than knowing that you're connecting with folks. And this song has been a life changer for me in a lot of ways and just kind of reopened up a lot of hope and a lot of doors I think for the next step and where we're planning on going I wish every song could be a tailgate to heaven but it, when you get those tracks you know it's a special one Thanks
0: Sean On that, here's Tailgate to Heaven
4: Streets of to this town ain't paved in gold, But there's a Texaco star Lights of the start of a gravel road it Take the wheels of your truck and your girl up above the clouds. Cut the engine off till the radio won't drop the tailgate down. Then it's moonlight, ain't angel eyes. I on a hill, the kisses of the sky, leaning on in the tail. When you're way up there with her, it's pretty close to paradise. And when her song comes on, those swings start to come untied. And you thank God for that half halftime four by four. Cause it got you up here with a girl and some beer. Knocking on heaven's door, moonlight, halo, wave, angel eyes How the hell the kids is the sky, leaning on it in terror. Midnight, heart confessions, feet hanging off over holy ground. Praying those stars will never burn out. On the small town kids with the 60 from the 711, sitting on the tailgate.
0: listening to Tailgate to Heaven by Sean Austin. You can find him at seanaustin.com on YouTube and Spotify. And for sure, check out his upcoming touring dates. You've been listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Pattison Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com.
3: Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com.
7: Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.